0: Out there.
1: Who is it? A friend, Mr. Fulmer.
0: A friend?
1: You have need of friends, allies. Come down, Mr. Fulmer. Come down, and we will talk, you and I. Uh,
3: And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey, guys, I'm Terry. And I hope you guys enjoyed our last episode in which uh, dogs magically appeared and disappeared, uh, invisible walls, Insta sandwiches, um, no steaks. You know, I hope you guys enjoyed that talk about Valley of the Shadow. I will say tonight there will be no steak talk, but we in return though we have a much meatier episode. Like, so it's mm, sinker teeth into yum, and that meat. Is uh, flavored with hate and racism and all sorts of other stuff. So maybe not the most delicious steak, but one that we kind of have to choke down. Like I feel like that's probably the way to deal with it. Uh, that makes me sound like I didn't like the episode. That's not that's not fair. But it's it's a tough subject matter to get into. It's tough. Yeah, tenderize it. Yeah, we're we're gonna just, we're gonna beat the shit out of the this, this steak of an episode. That's what we're gonna do. Uh, so this is season four, episode four. He's alive. Air uh January 24th, 1963. Number one film, Lawrence of Arabia. Again, probably because it's a successful movie that people liked and it did really well. Um, number one song is still that go away, Little Girl by Steve Lawrence. The less said about that, the better. I'm, we don't need to go on about that. Yeah, please. Yeah. So bits of news I found, one from the 24th and one from the 27th. Uh, it's it's you, one's, one's an okay piece of news, but it's very scary. The other one's a very sad piece of news. So way to start the episode off strong. On the 24th, the day that this aired, a B-52C bomber carrying two uh, nuclear weapons. I can never say that word right, so I just feel like I'm like the George W. Bush. Nuclear? It, yeah, nuclear, like there you go, weapons. Uh, and on airborne alert from the U.S. Air Force, lost its vertical stabilizer and turbulence, broke up in midair and crashed into Elephant Mountain in uh, Piscata- Piscatois County, Maine, whatever. It's French something. It's Maine. They hit Maine. Seven of the nine man crew were killed. One of the unarmed bombs fell from the plane and broke apart on impact on a farm. A part of that bomb containing enriched uranium was never located, uh, even though the waterlogged farmland in the vicinity was excavated to the depth of 50 feet. So that's good that it didn't go off, but there's half of a bomb somewhere out there in Maine uh, making things weird. You know, yeah, there's, like
2: just, there's like some toxic Avenger looking dude like <laughs> just, walking around. Now. Just a
3: guy made of like radiation and tree sap. Like you know, like maple syrup just walking around like <laughs> Yeah. Just being kinda polite, kinda, but sounds like Fred Gwynn from Pet Cemetery. <laughs> you don't want to go down there, uh. yeah, yeah. Sometimes dead is better, you know? Yeah. Like it's uh <laughs> maybe that's where that's, then that happened. And then people started burying their pets nearby. And maybe that's where this comes from. Maybe, maybe that's the bad background. Maybe this is the wind dingo. The ground is sour there. Yeah. Cause of enriched uranium. That's why. Uh So then two days, sorry, three days later on the 27th on Sunday, Lee Harvey Oswald uh used an alias uh, of AJ Hiddell for the first time, ordering a 38 caliber Smith and Wesson revolver uh, through the mail Um, He would use this name and ordering other weapons, including the weapon, the rifle that he would be that he would use to kill President Kennedy. Um, Wikipedia, when you go into the 60s, there's like this timeline every time you check the dates of like what um, Oswald was doing, which is important. It just shows you, though, um, especially in light of like the episode we're about to talk about, like there, you know, this is the creeping tragedy that we're aware of, but no one knows is coming. And that's just it's just important to note that this was happening like in real time three days after people just watch the twilight zone you know so that's the only reason i bring it up just because it's just we always forget that history does happen in real time and it's easy just to go back and look and like this happened and this happened it's like nope there was a day-to-day function of this person operating in relative um you know um darkness right. doing this right so and i
2: think it gives a glimpse of like how things were like procured at that time and how people didn't really investigate things and you know, no. it was a lot easier to get a gun back in the day than it is today. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. I, I'm going to guess that Lee Harvey also probably led to why you shouldn't get guns in the mail sometimes like that. I'm sure you still can, but that's I don't want to talk about that. Right? <laughs> right? So, OK, let's get into this uh, cast and crew here uh, written by Rod Serling, uh, directed by Stuart Rosenberg. Who is a different director for the season? Because we the first three were uh, Perry Lafferty, so we get somebody different here. Yay! Um, so this is second of three Twilight Zone episodes he'll direct. He did a season one episode I shot in the air into the air, which um, if you guys go back and listen to our talk about that, we did not like it very much. No, you guys did not. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't blame the director for it. I blame Sterling kind of for that one. But uh, so then he also directed uh, Cool Hand Luke, uh, Amityville Horror. And, um, there was a couple others in there too, but this guy's like, he's established a steam director after he did the twilight zone. Right. Yeah. He
2: also did the, the, the drowning pool. Amityville horror is the one that I really focused in on because I absolutely love that film. I watch it at least once a year.
3: Yeah, it is good. I, You know, I haven't seen it since I was a kid because I think the bit where there's the eyes in the window, like not the top, not the one you see from the posters, but there's like on the porch and you see like the red eyes. Yeah. Like I, something about that just broke me as a kid because it looked too real. Because I think it was during the daytime when they see that, right? Or they're looking. No, it, um, so she's talk, uh, the mother is talking to the little girl
2: and says, oh, you know, who's your friend in that? Well, you, you scared her away. She went out the window. So she went over to close the window and that's when she saw the eyes. And then they went away. And it was at nighttime.
3: Oh, okay. So I had so I had, had that frame m- completely. my the the, the the scene's completely wrong on my head, but I'm still scared of it. So yeah. I need to go back and rewatch that. It's an awesome yeah. scene. It scared the hell uh, out of me, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, brief aside, what did you think of the remake that had um, Ryan Reynolds in it? I fell asleep and did not want to go back to it. I actually liked it a great deal when I saw it in the theater. This was before we started getting like, okay, um, this is this... There was a time when there was like horror remakes that I felt were kind of garbage. This one felt like at least it had like some thought and intent behind it, so I appreciated that. Like because they did the whole thing too of like whenever his character was away from the house, he was okay, but like the closer he got, the, the more influence it was. And I right. think they did a better job of showing that in the remake. I like Ryan Reynolds a lot too. I mean, maybe maybe I have to go
2: back, and I'm not the kind of person that's like, well, I don't like I don't like remakes, and I. you Oh no, to, no no no! That's yeah. Like I, I've seen. Plenty of good remakes. So,
3: yeah, I just, I just, at this time when this one had come out, I forget the date, but I just remember there was like a string of ones. I'm like, D- are we doing this again? And this yeah. was one that I was like, oh, that was surprisingly better than I thought it would be, you know? So, yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, so did you have anything else about Stuart Rosenberg? No, that's,
2: okay. we, you guys had talked about him on the preview, like a yeah, previous episode. Yeah, when I Shot Air to the Air. The air. Yeah, we, so. we blamed him
3: directly for that episode. That's probably not true. He also um, does, he does Mute, the episode uh, Mute. Uh, for Twilight Zone. Which is time. coming up soon. Yep. Yeah. So, all right. So then uh, we got Dennis Hopper as uh, Peter Vollmer. Uh, I have a lot of notes about Mr. Hopper here. Um, I guess we'll just kind of go a little chronologically with his life. He, uh, while he's the actor student in New York, he became actual friends with Vincent Price. That's awesome. Good for uh, him. He was in Rebel Without a Cause and Giant. Both were with James Dean. Uh, James Dean's death affected Hopper, and it kind of caused him to kind of like have like a freak out and become really hard to work with. For, like, and so. Um, he kind of was working himself out of the industry until uh, John Wayne kind of like got him back into like acting like in like an actual major film. He ended up in like a bit part in true grit, which I remember that specifically because he gets stabbed in the hand with a knife. Like, uh, so, cause I was watching, I was like, is that Dennis Hopper? Like it was just a weird moment of like, what's he doing in a John Wayne Western? Um, but then he ends up having a role, cool hand Luke, which you can see why this, you know, this, this is uh, when he was doing this, he did a lot of television in between his burning out of like his initial Hollywood thing. And then, so this is where I'm sure he met Rosenberg and they got along. Um, so he would kind of come back with directing and being the editor of easy rider, um, which kind of blew people's minds at the time because it was kind of like a different way of telling stories, different way of editing. Uh, he talked about, his time on easy rider saying the cocaine problem in the United States is really because of me. There was no cocaine before easy rider on the street after easy rider. It was everywhere. So like he he, he takes personal responsibility for the proliferation of cocaine because easy rider. So I thought that was kind of funny.
2: That's a, a hell of a take on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd really be putting that out there into the world. I, I don't
3: think he gave a that shit. I think he, oh, yeah, yeah. So, and then, so I kind of skipped through some of his other things, but he said, after staging a suicide attempt, which was really more of a daredevil act and a coffin using 17 sticks of dynamite during an art happening at rice university media center, uh, which was filmed by professor and documentary filmmaker, uh, Brian Huberman, uh, and, 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 he then later disappeared in the Mexican desert during a particularly extravagant bender. Uh, Hopper then entered a drug rehabilitation program in 1983. So after like doing like kind of like exhibition art where he was in a coffin with 17 sticks of dynamite and then going on a bender, he just ends up in the desert. Like, this guy lived.
2: Yeah, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> Did he hang out with Pink Floyd
3: a lot or something? Yeah, he, I don't know. Uh, he hung out with uh, Johnny Cash, who happened to be a coyote at the time, <laughs> due, to, due to the per- Peruvian devil pepper. That's what <laughs> oh, happened. Oh, Jesus. No, no. Uh, uh, so it was, it was not until he was in um, Blue Velvet in 86, where his career kind of took like the third turn. Um, and it looks like you were going to mention that. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I had that in my I don't, notes. I don't know. About if Blue it,
2: Velvet's a pretty... Pretty popular amongst the wasteland community. So I had to make sure we brought it up.
3: Well, and also, if you pay attention to the intro to the show, it is Frank Boo saying, Let's go for a joyride. Yeah. During the intro. That's true. Uh, Which, for the first two years of the show, I knew the quote, I had not seen Blue Velvet until like last year for the first time. So, uh, interesting film. I was a late bloomer too. I I just feel like it's what I talked about at the time. I like it. It's a really cool movie. It's just, I feel like it kind of had like this large shadow of like, Oh, have you not seen Blue Velvet? You know, so. Uh, But Dennis Hopper as Frank Booth is just, he's just a freight train, like off the rails to the whole thing. It's great. That's the only way you can really describe it. It's just like batshit crazy. Yeah. And so on reading the script for uh, Hopper Said to Lynch, you have to let me play Frank Booth because I am Frank Booth, which, you know, seems right. Uh, (laughs) He won critical acclaim and several awards for the role. And the same year, he he received an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor uh, as the alcoholic assistant basketball coach in Hoosiers. I think people forget that was the same year for him, which I don't know if you've seen Hoosiers or not. It's a what's a wonderful film, um, but yeah, he he just two very different portrayals, you know, um, and then also he uh, in '86 portrayed uh, what was it? He was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre too.
2: Yes, very yeah. fun stuff too.
3: Yeah, he's <laughs> another another like f- like crazy performance, but like a different type of crazy. Right. I, just, I did, just the image of him with the dual chainsaws is just and wearing like like the Texas garb is just. Phenomenal. And that's another movie I hadn't seen for the first time until like two years ago. Like, so I'm, I guess I'm just getting like, to the hopper train, you know? the hopper like, yeah, train. I'm, I'm hopping on the hopper That's train. That's still off the track. That's still off the tracks. So yeah, full full of cocaine and dynamite, evidently, as we now know. <laughs> um, So he was also King Koopa in Super Mario Brothers. Got to mention that. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry, Dennis Hopper. Uh, yeah. But yeah,
2: you were a bad cast for that. Oh,
3: was there a good anything in that movie? Like, I think on the on the, on the surface, Bob yeah, Hoskins cool. looks yeah. Bob Hoskins looks kind of like what you want from Mario. Yeah, and I like John Leguizamo's Green Mario. I think he was okay. You know, Green <laughs> but, <laughs> it's green mario that's that's what you know it's mario and green mario yeah um (laughs) that's essentially what it was with
2: the very first game mario Um, brothers
3: there there's a comic out there where it was um it was what was it uh Mario was talking, he said something and Luigi's like, why? He's like, mom, why did you, why did you name, um, like Mario, Mario, Mario? And she's like, it's okay. And he's like, why'd you name me Luigi Mario? And she's like, it's okay, green Mario. Something to that effect where she consoles <laughs> him by calling him green Mario. I'm sure I ruined the cartoon. Um, once we're done with this whole episode, you're going to forget that I, I did that. You're gonna be like, you're going to forget about my faux pas with Mario's. Cause we're going to get so far into not mario
2: territory well there's gonna be a lot of people who
3: would be like wait i thought i was listening to strange highways is this invasion yeah not 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 mario talk uh so then he was also bad guy in speed which that movie's fun great bad guy Waterworld. also he's fun in that movie uh um land of the dead the romero film he's a good bad guy in that too
2: yeah he plays he plays that role really really well the movie's not great but He does very well in it.
3: Also, like has John Leguizamo, so it was almost a reunion of Super Mario Brothers. Of the Mario's, of the Mario's, it was you know, it was Dennis Hopper and Green Mario, and that as well. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's what I had. Dennis Hopper, just hell of a career, hell of an artist, uh, complicated person, you know, and brought us some amazing works, brought us some challenging works, and uh, we'll talk about his performance here. And last week when I saw it was Dennis Hopper in an episode where he's playing a neo-Nazi, I'm like. I don't know what's going on, but I'm in, and the, his performance in this is magnetic, and we'll talk more about that as we go. So, I don't know if you have any notes about Dennis Hopper.
2: No, that I think you hit it, it well. It, I
3: think it was worth mentioning his career, because you have to, it's Dennis Hopper, you know, like, how how could you not talk about some of this stuff, you know, <laughs> like, he's never going to be in the Twilight Zone again, to my knowledge. I don't think he's in another episode. So, all no, right. He is not. Next person we have is uh, Ludwig Donath. Uh, Donath is Ernst Gans. Uh, his only Twilight Zone appearance. Born to a Jewish family, uh, he graduated from uh, Vienna's Academy of Dramatic Art and became a prominent actor in stage in Berlin. When Hitler came to power in 33, he returned to Vienna and was active there in theater until, and this is something I look up called the Anschluss. I'm saying that wrong in 1938. What that was is that. There was kind of like this gentleman's agreement between Austria and Germany, where Germany's like, no, 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 we're not going to take you over. You're going to still be your own country. And then uh, Goebbels told Hitler in like late summer '37 that eventually Austria would have to be taken over by force, and they just moved on in. So Austria was living in this like notion of like, no, 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 as long as we play by the rules, we'll be fine. And then Germany's like, nope, we're taking you too. And that was the end of Austria, like in terms empty of empty promises. Essentially, it was well, like. Nazi Germany is always like, you know, we're fine until like, they just like, they, they, they just kick like the, the borderline a little bit further, a little bit further until like daring people to stop them, you know? Right. And that's what happened. So I just thought in light of this story that knowing that, um, Ludwig Donath's, um, pr- like his life was directly affected by, you know, the actions of Nazi Germany, you know? So that's, I think it's important. Uh, he was in an episode of playoffs 90 called judgment at Nuremberg, which, you know, also seems appropriate played Hitler in 1943's the strange death of Adolf Hitler um so this guy has has some knowledge coming into this role some uh some you know stagecraft knowledge and some real world knowledge that's all I had about him too
2: yeah, he has a, a little bit more of a uh connection with Hitler uh, he was he's his second cousin <laughs> well not not that kind of connection but uh he was the voice of Hitler in uh margin of error and the moon is uh, down the moon is down. The moon yeah, is down. Yeah, yeah, he did the voice of Hitler in both of
3: those. The Moon's down. That sounds like the the second movie in the Iron Sky series. I know. Mm. Uh, but have you seen Iron Sky? Like, Mm-mm. nope. It, it's this whole idea of like the Nazis left Earth and they occupied the moon, and then in this day and age they come back to attack. Oh, geez, it's crazy. Like, it's 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 very tongue in cheek, and they have like um, a sequel for it too. So. Yeah, I'll I have to check I, that out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah I've, I've watched most of it. It's like the appreciation's there for what they're trying to go for that kind of camp. Uh, but yeah, they had Nazis, moon based Nazis is what that movie <laughs> is. Uh, so I have uh, Paul Murawski, uh as Frank. Uh, this is his third of three Twilight Zone appearances. Uh, he was in the Purple Testament and the Gift. Um, not sure if we talked about him there in those because he. Well, actually, I, we did because he actually is more famous for his writing than he is his acting. Um, and he was nominated for five Oscars for his writing. Oh geez. Sorry. Four Oscars for writing one for best picture, which is what he wrote. Nice. So this guy had an established career after this. So yeah, just, we talked about it that I'm sure we, we, we probably mentioned in the purple Testament or the gift. Cause that's like of note. Cause this guy legitimately had a big career after this. So that's what I have for Paul Murzowski.
2: I, I, I have that. He was also in Carlito's way, which I love Carlito's way. That's a very good mob film. Uh, and he did some Curb of Your Enthusiasm. And guess what, Paul? I found some Johnny Midnight in his catalog. Nice. It, came, See, it I finally came back.
3: I didn't look that close, but, you know, spoiler, we're going to find some of that later, too. Um, so Curb Your Enthusiasm is funny because, like, it's a funny show. I had never watched it. I finally started watching it finally, like, a week ago. I don't know if you've watched much Curb Your Enthusiasm.
2: I, I don't think it's really quite up my alley, but I... I, I haven't checked it out.
3: I I just, I'm, this is me really far behind because the series, the series is like 20 years old, but they're like on their 10th season. So watching the first episode is like 20 years ago. So seeing Larry David, who looked old then, but like now look really young compared to what he looks like now, it's like, it's just, it's still funny. It's like, if you want that Seinfeld, itch scratched literally since he was the co-creator of Seinfeld. It has that kind of wonderful looping, like humor. So I, I, it's one of those things like, have you had a show where, you know, you'll probably enjoy it, but you want to have the right place and time to digest it and kind of fall in love with it. This is one of those ones I've always set aside being like, I'll get to it. Cause I know I'm going to love it. Okay. So, um but yeah, that's neither here nor there, but yeah, Kirby enthusiasm, probably not full of Nazi talk. I don't know. I haven't gotten to the later seasons. Maybe there's whole seasons devoted to that. I, that'd be really it's weird. Concept episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, curb stomp your enthusiasm. Oh, All right, no. so um, no. Oh, oh no, no. <laughs> I told Terry before we started recording, I was like, "This is going to be a very serious episode in terms of the content," but I can't not not say something dumb like every thirty seconds. So I apologize. the The content of this episode is very serious, but I guess it's a defensive mechanism. We're like it's too serious, I gotta say something dumb right now. So.
2: Yeah, we, we want to try to sprinkle a little bit of laughs in here. I mean, some of our jokes are going to be a little bit off
3: kilter Nick's, a little bit here and I, there. We're so. not going to make any, like, sympathetic Nazi jokes. Let's just yeah, put it that yeah, way. Yeah, that's you know? not happening. No. <laughs> no. Like, you know, but what if Hitler was right? No, no, that's no. not going to – no, that would be terrible. Uh, so we got um, uh, Howard Kane as Nick. Uh, again, this was ones where the cast lists were a little weird from, like, Wikipedia to IMDb, so it was a little all over the place. Okay. Um, his only appearance at Twilight Zone was in four episodes of Fair Exchange. The reason I mentioned that is because this this fourth season of the Twilight Zone was what was brought in mid season replacement to replace Fair Exchange. So, yeah, yeah, I,
2: I noticed that yeah. when I was reading about uh, the fourth season.
3: Yeah, so I didn't realize this like that show had only had two seasons. I thought it was a one season deal. But here's the premise of that show, and tell me if that if this is something that would be made today. <clears throat> Eddie Walker of New York city and Tommy Finch of London, England had been world war II buddies and they decided to swap teenage daughters, Patty and Heather for a year. No. I don't think that that's a reality show, but yeah. I don't think that's like a comedy. The child swap instead of wife swap. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, that's so weird. I, you know, I think it's just more like, well, we'll give them a well-rounded education. Hilarity will ensue. I get it. But, uh, so Kane is best remembered for his recording role as major Wolfgang Hochstetter on Hogan's heroes, which is a comedy about Nazis and the men that rebelled against them. Uh, he, uh, he had a lot of, like a lot of catchphrases and stuff in there. So he was definitely comic relief in that um also later in life very successful banjo player and folk singer nice i didn't make that up that's the truth like he actually oh, I, mean, got, I didn't think you did
2: but that's like, pretty sweet that would
3: be a weird thing to bring up it's like and also i'm pastor bagpiper no i don't know but yeah <laughs> like he liked the banjo playing
2: and the folk singing so well we're both big into music so that's good to bring some music elements into this <laughs> as well so that's yeah. cool all right
3: so do you have anything else about uh mr he
2: i was also in judgment at nuremberg And he did a little bit of the Alfred Hitchcock stuff, uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and I believe he was also in Alfred Hitchcock Hour, so.
3: Okay, fair enough. All right, so we got uh, Barnaby Hale, which that's the greatest, one of the greatest names ever. Barnaby Hale as Stanley. Uh, Only uh, Twilight Zone appearance. I just want to say he was in a a movie in 1963 called A Ticklish Affair. I... I know that the title of that film will never live up to what I think the movie is, <laughs> but I want it to be a guy cheating on his wife with another person. All I do is like tickle each other. It just sounds like something that you would see on Skinemax when you were like <laughs> ticklish affair, yeah. you were, Like 15. Yeah. Or, or it's like the very polite way of saying like, our government's being overthrown from the inside. It's a ticklish affair. Like, it's like, what? Like, Max I don't know. on Fox. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's all I had for Bar- Barnaby Hale. Yeah. I didn't really find anything that yeah. was like very notable. Uh, so we have Jay Adler as Gibbons. I uh, just mentioned it's his second of two Twilight Zone appearances. He was in The Jungle, uh, which is from um, season three. Really cool episode. He's actually like the the homeless guy in that that is bumming the main character for money and then he just disappears. So that was worthy of mentioning. Um, uh, did you have anything else for, for Mr. Jay Adler?
2: Uh, it, well, he was in Grave of the Vampire. And I, 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 I was going to tell what the synopsis was. But the, the name alone is pretty. Grave of the Vampire. Yeah, yeah it sounds sweet. pretty sweet.
3: I mean, it's no Zoltan, The Hound of Dracula, but it's still it's still pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, uh, Wolf Barzell as proprietor. He the guy is at the bar that you see uh, towards the end of the episode. Wow. Um, not much there. Lots of TV stuff. I didn't find anything for him. Um, Bernard Fine as Heckler. Um, he's at the beginning. Uh, second of two Twilight Zone appearances was in the Four of Us Are Dying. Two episodes of Hawaii and I. And two episodes of Johnny Midnight. What? what? you know? Take um, a drink. Take four drinks. T- take them Sorry, all. Take five drinks because you found an earlier Johnny Midnight. So Waterfall. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Finish what you're drinking and go grab a keg. Uh, it's about to get crazy in here. Um, <laughs> Kirk Conway as a person that we'll get to later. Only Twilight Zone appearance. And then, um, let's see here. What else do I have here? There's a bunch of bits, bit parts. But the one I want to mention is Robert McCord as cop. Okay. Um, He, this is his 23rd of 32 Twilight Zone appearances. Get the heck out of here. Yeah, he's just a guy that was part of the production that they would stick in there. And it was always like, we would always make the joke of like, collect all 32. Like I was like, (laughs) so, so I was excited because this is a Rob Sterling written script directed by a guy who's directed an episode of Twilight Zone before and he had Robert McCord. So it's like, everything's feeling like it belongs, you know, like if Robert McCord's here, we're going to be okay. It's like, they're
2: all just sitting in the bullpen (laughs) waiting for their time to come in.
3: Yeah, so uh, there's four other people that are listed. They all actually had other appearances in the Twilight Zone, but they were all minor characters. So, you know, unless you had somebody else. Uh,
2: man, this, I'm going to butcher this name. It's a Bill Zuckberg or Zucker. Zucker yeah, well, I didn't whatever. even write that one down. Yeah, so so he was it. a detective. Um, this was his only appearance in Twilight Zone, but he, he was the father of, um, oh, geez, the... The the kicker from uh, Ace Ventura.
3: Oh, oh Lace is Finkel. out. Finkel. Finkel. Yeah, yeah you f- know, I saw I, I saw a Finkel reference and I'm like, that I don't remember that. It's like so he was the father of Finkel. Where, yeah, he uh, was the father of Finkel and he- Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. <laughs> <laughs> um and then he was in Critters Three.
2: Uh, did an episode of Star Trek, and he was in Hawaiian Eye.
3: See, I feel for shame that I didn't find the Critters connection because mm. a few years critters ago, is life. Critters is life, I have the theory, the running theory, and I still believe it, that everything runs through Critters. Like People talk about the Kevin Bacon game, fine, but you can trace almost everything back by using the Kevin Bacon style of like, six or seven steps to the first four Critters films.
2: Yeah, I believe it. I I, I I listened to some of your rants about this and I believe you. I <laughs>
3: like this. Like people will have like these life's works. Right. And they'll have all these things that they're proud of. I will one day have a big yarn wall behind me with photos and the string attached yeah. everywhere, pointing everything back to critters. It's like that like, movie number 23. <laughs> yeah, it's, You're going to lose it. It's like that meme of Charlie day from it's always sunny where he's holding the cigarette pointing at the wall and it's like all covered in string and marker. That's going to be me. Like, like, uh, pointing how critters is everything um so that's that's my theory uh, I've not been proven wrong yet so and so what isn't there a point where a theory becomes a law so this should be the law of critters I'm glad that you found critters is now connected to the twilight. One
2: step closer to making a bigger connection. And I feel like all the connections the
3: all the connections of critters, they just make one big critter ball and it just rolls over the like the landscape.
2: It takes everything. It takes everything, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. That's all I had for the cast.
3: All right. So let's just get to the Sterling intro here, and then let's just get into this uh laugh a minute episode. Uh, he's alive. So talking it, everybody.
0: Portrait of a bush league Fuhrer named Peter Vomber a sparse little man who feeds off his self-delusions and finds himself perpetually hungry for want of greatness in his diet. And like some goose-stepping predecessors, he searches for something to explain his hunger and to rationalize why a world passes him by without saluting. The something he looks for and finds is in a sewer. In his own twisted and distorted lexicon, he calls it faith, strength, truth. But in just a moment, Peter Vollmer will ply his trade on another kind of corner. A strange intersection in a shadow land called the Twilight Zone.
3: The intersection of cocaine and dynamite. Now, um, <laughs> so Terry, set the stage. Where where are we at, at? The beginning of this episode. Okay, so we open up, and there are uh, there's a small group
2: of uh, four guys dressed in some kind of like Nazi type uniforms, mm-hmm. and they're giving a speech to. Probably about fifteen people in the middle of a street, give or take. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a loose crowd. Yeah, and um, there's some torches, and uh, Dennis Hopper is on a ladder, so it's <laughs> is, it's pretty it's m- a, makeshift. It's like a, a
3: rickety step ladder yeah. with, like, yeah, he's trying to pr- like project this image, and he's just on a street corner on a ladder with some torches, right? And they're all dressed in matching uniforms, and
2: it's a hot ass day. We we actually uh, the first scene is of like. Uh,
3: the thermometer. Uh, the thom- yeah, the
2: thermometer is showing that it's like around 100 degrees. Um, and yeah, it's, so everybody is sweating their balls off and they're trying to listen to give Dennis give a. Well, I'm sorry. Peter.
3: <laughs> Dennis, Dennis. Dennis Hopper is a Nazi on a ladder. Like, that's also probably in the Wikipedia somewhere that I didn't find. <laughs> like, his performance art. <laughs>
2: yeah, right. Yeah. Well, basically, it's Peter. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so Peter giving his um, very like unorthodox discussion to these people about you know, it's like it's disjointed too. He's trying to make um clear, decisive like uh connections and he's, he's losing the crowd. He's yeah, speaking is with
3: force and he's trying to blame all these different sections. He is talking like he, he mentions like, you know, like minorities. And, and he like and the camera does a good job of cutting to like different groups. And, and at one point he says, and those from Africa. And you see yeah. like, you know, an African-American gentleman just staring at him and he's trying to like, you know, make his point of whatever it is. Um, and meanwhile, people are kind of like dismissing him. But then in the background, and I do enjoy that an ice cream truck just shows up. And it's like you hear the noise of the ice cream truck. And people are like, oh, there's ice cream. I'd better go look at that right now. Something shiny. Uh. I don't know, Terry. If I had to choose between Nazis and ice cream, I'm going to choose ice cream ice every cream time. every day. Yeah. I would
2: have jumped in that into that ice cream truck <laughs> yeah. and like drove away eating all of the- Yeah,
3: for freedom. The Nutty know? Buddies. And but, all yeah, that. right. Uh, so- Uh, yeah, this, he is, I feel like at this point, even though he's, he's, he feels like he's losing the crowd. He's speaking with conviction. Uh, you know, it's just, he, he believes this, but he may not believe that he's getting the point across, which, you know, it happens where someone throws a tomato at him or something. Yeah, there's some I don't even know what the hell that was, but it, like it made a
2: big splash on his well, face.
3: Yeah, because someone was like, "Hey, you know, come off that ladder if you really back up what you believe," and someone's just basically taunting him, and and it's like you get the notion. It's not said directly, but you get the notion. Like this is sixty three. Some of these guys, they may have served in the back end of like World War II or they served in like Korea or something. Like it is something where they were. Like you get the you get the notion that, like these people like kind of staring them in the face is like what are you going to say to us right. you know type of thing, um, so it becomes a fight uh, that you you realize that uh, Peter Valmer can't throw a punch to save his life
2: <laughs> like yeah, he's a haymaker he, that did he not connect twice it yeah. gets
3: laid out you know and it's great to see you know not, like neo Nazis getting punched um, so then uh, he says something like someday this country is going to wake up and that causes you know there's a fight uh, so then the cops come. And and everybody scatters. It's like Jesus, the fuzz. Like yeah, the they,
2: <laughs> yeah. The crowd, the crowd basically kicks everybody's ass. I mean, there's only four of these members, but the crowd just lays them out.
3: Well, three of them. We find out what happens to the fourth one no, in the Yeah, yeah, um yeah. that,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, But yeah, and then they set the, they set the ladder on fire, so his podium is burning. And uh, yeah. yeah, Then they hear the cops coming. They t- they highly tail out of there, and they're like, they're just left on the ground. um here comes the cops.
3: Yeah, like the cops are like, Well, who did this? And he's like, the communists. And he's like, which ones? Like, cause there's nobody around. And um, and like the one of his like cohorts is like, You'll see one day, everybody like, will wake up or whatever. And and the guy's like, Yeah, yeah, whatever. And he's like, Oh, and by the way, he's like, you know, you forgot your flag. And he holds the flag up for a second. And as Dennis Hopper goes, sorry, Peter Vollmer, I'm gonna do the same thing all night. Uh, he goes reach for the flag. The cop does like this power move of just dropping the flag right in front of him. And has to make him bend yeah, down to was, grab it. It
2: was Frank that uh, Frank that went to go. Oh get yeah, it. yeah. So, but yeah, when he, as soon as he's about to grab the flag, the cop just drops it, and this obviously upsets Frank, and he says, "You know, there's going to be a day when you're going to be crawling on your belly your belly to salute this flag." He's like, he says to him, he's like. Just let me know the day, Jack. And he's like, that's the day I'm going to cut my wrists.
3: Yeah, it's it's a it's a great moment. Did you also notice, too, it's like something that we may not notice in 2020, but the cop's partner was also an African-American gentleman standing right, yeah, there I just staring that. on, which I did a little bit, like I was reading some stuff. Like that didn't happen that way normally in New York. It was usually if there was an African-American cop, they'd be partnered up with another African-American. But I don't care. I think it's important to have him staring you know, even if it's not factually correct, it is, you know, it's spiritually correct to have this, like, you know, staring at these guys of like you, you know, like. I, get, I think it gives a little bit more gravity to the situation that this cop, it, he does
2: not agree with them. He's yeah. Like my partner, you know, he's a minority. He's like, I don't agree with your views. Here's your flag back in yeah, yeah, the ground. Pound salt and get out of here. Yeah. But the
3: notion that that they immediately say it's communists, like he's just trying to lose this blanket, just because it's it. Again, um, we'll get more to this a little bit later. Uh, that that's a common playbook that is used of like blanketing and saying that they're all of this. And right. that's, yeah, and, but I love the cop of like, where are they? Tell me who they are specifically. And They yeah. couldn't name them because yeah. he's, he's, he's full of shit, you know? So anyway, uh, they, um, they, they go down the, down the alley. And, um, this is, uh, Peter's also talking about how like that no one's listening to him and he needs the people to believe him. And that's when he finds Nick. Nick was hiding from the crowd in the fight underneath the stairwell, like a, a fire escape. And he was like, Oh, I told you guys it was a hot night. You shouldn't have done this. Yeah, you know, there was eight
2: guys on me. I was lucky to get, get out of there.
3: <laughs> yeah. Like you guys should be thankful. I ran away from a fight. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so that's whenever we get the whole thing of like Nick doubting himself. And then that's when we get the Sterling intro, um, which, you know, I'd always joke about where should Sherling show up? Sterling, Sterling, Sherling, Sterling. should show up i would like it if he was like one of the last people to throw a punch at one of the nazis and like you know was just wiping like the blood off his knuckles and just giving the intro that would have been amazing to me he
2: blows out the match that he set the the ladder on fire with
3: (laughs) that or he lights a cigarette off the ladder there we go (laughs) that That would would be, be amazing that would be awesome yeah that would have been great but anyway uh so uh then this is when we get to uh peter going to the apartment of of ernst um, and we get to meet Ernst. He's playing the violin. Sorry, like a cello. I should say. I should say. Should say. Um, I'm drinking beer right now because this is a tough episode to talk about. So it's I apologize. A nasty
2: beer too, man. I I, I have to. You're buy. drinking a
3: Miller Light, Tall boy.
2: You bring you bring Platinum. That's like rubbing alcohol. That's terrible. It's.
3: I wanted. I just wanted kind of a shit beer while we're talking about this. You got, that, the, you got it.
2: Yeah. There you
3: go. <laughs> <laughs> Mission
2: accomplished. <laughs>
3: I like that you're looking down my nose while you're drinking a tall boy of Miller Lite. <laughs> like, desperate times, dude. Yeah, you're desperate just like, times. You're like, "How dare you drink Bud Light Platinum? I'm drinking the civilized beers." Dude, that's Miller Lite. the <laughs> best that the 7-Eleven had, man. Get out of my face. This okay. does smell skunky though, but I'm just dealing with it. So I hope you guys appreciate that I'm powering through it. Uh, anyway, so commitment. We meet we meet Ernst. Ernst is you're know, playing like this uh this the cello. That's probably what it is. And it's a wonderful little piece, but then uh, he sees, so it's important that Peter, before he gets in the apartment, he takes off his uniform and covers it up. He covers up the armband and all that stuff. And so then when he's in there, Ernst sees that he's roughed up, offers him some wine. That's If there's only one bit of comedy this entire episode, it's this bit where Ernst is pouring the wine and he kind of looks back at Peter and sees like how roughed up he is and then like doubles the amount of wine. He kind of shrugs and pours oh, more. Pour, I thought that yeah. was funny. Um, so I thought that was like a funny little joke, but you see, Ernst actually cares about him, and he's trying to like you know still show compassion, but he doesn't he doesn't back down when they have conversations about like what's going on. Ernst is he's aware of what Peter's getting into, and he because he sees the armband and all that stuff. And I mean he's he's known this guy
2: since he was a kid, mm-hmm. so it's like if he's gonna give him some truth, he's he's gonna give it to him
3: raw. And it's interesting because you have Peter. Who is you know bruised and, like he's had tears in his eyes because he's been you know beat down physically and like you know emotionally that night because no one's listened to his message and he says to him he's like a man does what he believes in and it's like he's he's saying all these paper tiger things to Ernst and right. then um and he says at one point it's not hate it's a point of view which again that statement just it it just it just hit me like a shot like. Considering context of today, you yeah, know, he says it's, it's,
2: it's, it's a philosophy. It's a not philosophy.
3: Hate. Yeah. Right. It's easy to be like, Oh no, no, we could talk about this in the abstract as opposed to what's all going on. Uh, so then this is when you find out that Ernst, uh, was in, uh, Dachau yeah. for nine years. Um, which, so, um, and we'll fold this in a little bit later, but I, I, I asked Terry to watch the, the season two episode, uh, no season three, was it season three? Um, yeah, it's the beginning of season three. Season three, episode nine. Nine, uh, Death's Head revisited, um, which is about a former um, SS guard at Dachau going back to visit, like basically having like a a victory lap, right. and then turning out that it doesn't go so well. Uh, I figured that would be a, uh, I was I'm going to get your thoughts about that, but I thought it was a good a good uh, c- uh, companion piece to this episode, especially since they mentioned Dachau specifically, um, and this both of them are written by Serling, right? So. Ernst mentions that he you know he's in Dachau for uh you know 9, nine years. years which is a concentration camp and he said 12 million bodies in shallow graves It all started with men in uniforms talking on street corners that is like he's telling him like I I've, I've seen this before you I know what your game is like this is and he but he's still trying to show compassion and love and he like the best that he can where it's like I give you a place to stay I saw you as a sad little boy Like, you know, and then like, and then Peter goes into be like, uh, this whole thing about like, you know, well, like my dad was, you know, was, wasn't around or threw me into a wall. My mom was like off a rocker. You're the only one that cared for me. And Ernest is like, yeah, you know, I still see the boy, not the man. Meaning like, I still love you. I want the best for you. I don't want to see what you're becoming. And that's a very powerful thing, especially the fact that like he even says to like to Peter about like, you know, he's like, I'm probably the worst person that you could deal with with my tolerance. Right. Like throwing it in his face of like, you're the thing that you say that you hate and, and rally against. But yet you come and sleep on my couch and I offer you wine. I still show you love.
2: It's like it's like the person that has an addiction or has a problem that's more enveloping. Uh, of their life. But then you try to explain it away to somebody and you know? they're like, I've been there from the beginning, man. Yeah. Like I know who you really are. And now I see who you're becoming and it's not
3: right. Yeah. And, but it's like for him to turn away him would be almost, it would be, it would be the same thing of people turning away him when he was like, you know, before he went to Dachau. Right. And like, so like it's, I don't know if you get this characterization, like, like, not that you wouldn't get it now in a story, but this is an interesting relationship that does pay off in terms of a story beat. But this is like, I don't know where you'd have a, a sympathetic character, a, a, like a survivor of the concentration camps actively letting someone who is peddling in neo-Nazi thought stay with them. Like, I, I don't know if you'd have that kind of challenging dynamic in a story right now. Maybe you would, maybe, maybe we've evolved. You can still have that challenge, but this surprised me. Like I just, um, this was a very interesting jumping off point for this episode. It brings so
2: many more layers to Peter as well. Yeah. And it, it really, the, the as far as we've come into this episode, which is not very long, I no. think we're about at the six, no, it's like 10 minutes. Yeah. 10 I minute mean, it's,
3: these are 51 minute episodes. We're probably yeah. like 15 minutes in. But, but even like, yeah. then it's like it, the, the story that we
2: have so far about Peter has built so much in their relationship and who he has become yeah. as a person.
3: Yeah. And it's like, and so, I think, I think Serling was trying to make not Peter sympathetic, but human, relatable
2: so, in some some sense. Because in some sense.
3: when when you hold the mirror up, you need to see yourself in it too, right? So Hell I feel yeah. like that's. So I think you're, and, and and credit to Hopper too. Even though it's a little melancholic, where he's like, "You're my dad, dad," whatever. But it's like, I, Serling can sometimes bring a, like a sledgehammer to to you know when you need a fly swatter. But when it comes to these episodes of import, like. I don't mind him swinging hard and swinging frequently. Like, like you watch death's head revisited. That is just a hammer blow after hammer blow of an episode. And and like even one from season three before that called the shelter where there's no element of sci-fi whatsoever in it. It just, just shows humanity like getting worse and worse, how people treat each other about getting into a fallout shelter. So I don't mind preaching Sterling when it's pointed in the right direction. There's times where he wants to say something and it gets a little lost in the weeds this, this is, this is fine. Like, even though I feel like Dennis Hopper, it, it, it wasn't his performance. It's just, that I think the whole, like, you're my dad. It's like, we need to establish that this, it felt a little weird.
2: <laughs> like, you know, it, it was kind of strange, but it really did
3: show that he is a still a person and at he the still core, cares about Ernst too. at the yeah. core, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, maybe I should mention this now. Um, so. Uh, that the, the armband that he wears is not a SWAT sticker. Um, and it's important because CBS was like, we can't show SWAT stickers, you know, like that's like, right. it's a big deal. Um, which, you know, again, I don't know why they wouldn't, but whatever it is, it is what it is. It's 63. It's still fresh in everybody's minds. And the fact that they allowed, this story to go forward, get it again. This is a year removed from, you know, death's head revisited, which, you know, was very much, you know, about everything. Um, so if you saw the logo for that, it's a torch and like a lightning bolt. Um, so in the Berlin Olympics, when they had, when Nazi Germany hosted the Olympics, they did something that supposedly was a tradition. And I think it is with the torch run through like the area. And you see that now where they run the torch through like the country. Yes. Germany was the one to bring that back for the Olympics. Supposedly it was an ancient tradition and it was supposed to kind of showcase Germany, like Nazi Germany. And after that, everyone's like, yeah, Nazis are bad, but that was kind of a cool ceremony thing to do. So I don't know if the production designers like had that torch as the idea. Cause that was kind of like one of the symbols of the Berlin Olympics to bring that in and also lightning bolt. I mean, you can read that a couple different ways. is like, you know, German or, or sorry, say Nazi icon-, icon, iconography, that whatever icons words are not good for me today.
2: Yeah. And like, I I think the lightning bolt has to do with uh, how the, the, the flame was lit because, um, you know, Zeus sending down.
3: Yeah, maybe lightning. that. I also think of like the Blitzkrieg, which was like the lightning attack that was on, you know, and like the yeah, Blitz, I can see you know, that all too. that stuff. So I don't know. But I feel I have a feeling that that torch is kind of like indicative of that. And it's like maybe I'm bringing too much into that, but that's what it feels like because they were the one leading the way lighting the torch is supposed to, you know, like I let the world know they're here, right. you know, type of thing. So I don't know. Also, the fact that they use torches throughout when he's giving speeches I don't know if that ties in or not either. It's it, understandable yeah. uh like image imagery yeah. iconography. That's the word I'm looking for. That's yeah. a, that's the secret word, that's right? That's a now. big word, man. It's I, a big word. It's a it's a big word. I don't like big words. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that because I feel like there's some history attached to it. So right. Um so Ernst, Ernst sorry. Peter goes to bed on the couch and then all of a sudden a, he hears a voice. And it's a mysterious stranger. Like, yeah, he, talking he hears to him.
2: something. It wakes him out of his dead rest, and uh, he goes to the window and he looks out the window and he sees a, like a figure in the darkness uh, on in the, by the street.
3: It, it, so, not to give up the ghost, literally or not literally. Like, I, did you have any doubt at any time who this was that was in the shadows offering him advice? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't at all. I mean, we're four seasons into the Twilight Zone. If you didn't know this was Hitler, like then, then <gasps> you've not been watching. <laughs> what? Oh, wait, I should just play this was right it? now. <laughs> I, did, I I don't think I finished I think the episode, it's Hitler, dude. Yeah. I, it's, the episode's called He's Alive. You start off with a neo-Nazi shouting things, yeah. and, then, and then you have somebody be like, I can help you, Mr. Vollmer, with the German accent. It, it's goddamn Hitler. Like, right. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know... Like, uh, yeah. Is so, that his original name? Goddamn, goddamn Hitler, Hitler, yeah. Adolf goddamn Hitler. <laughs> it was uh, yeah. uh, Adolf not good at painting Hitler. Um, so anyway, so we, we don't know who this is. And, and to the the episode's effect, it's a, the way he's cast in shadow, it works. It's very stark. It's a cool image, like a very striking image. Maybe not cool because it's Hitler. But, you know, like... Um, it brings to mind something more and I'll
2: talk about that later. Yeah. But yeah. So
3: he's like, he's like, I simply followed your tears, Mr. Volmer, like, which is a good line. And he's like, you know, he's like, he's like talking to, to Peter saying like, come out here. We need to talk. And he's like, you know, how do you move a crowd? And he's like, you join them, make them hate your hate. If they're angry, give them objects to be angry at. And then he goes, on, he's like, Oh, if, if they're minorities say we're minorities, and like basically mirror them and then get them riled and get them on your side. You right. know, and it's like become and, one of them, become one of the mob, or make them part of you. You know, right. and so then as he's like practicing, like uh, Peter's practicing his speech. There's just nice cross cut. There's a really nice cross cut of him shouting to the streets, and it's cutting him to rally like a, a rally in like a like a, a hall, right? Which calls to mind like the 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 beer hall stuff that Hitler would do to kind of like talk to the people to get them riled, you know riled. So there's a lot of mirroring here. And then suddenly you have he has people there because he ha- he's on point. He meets them where they live so to speak and they start getting on board with him. And this opera sells the hell out of this. He's so good. At being this, it's scary. He's speaking with such power
2: now, like with such confidence, and the, there is a large group in front of him at this point, and he just he's selling it oh really goodness. well.
3: So, um, what I usually do in between episodes is I'll post images from the episode during the week and write little snarky comments or whatever. Um, when we covered "Death's Head Revisited," I don't, I don't, if I don't, re- I don't think I covered. I don't think I took any screencaps from that episode because a lot of it was the first two thirds was the German officer remembering his past glories. I didn't want to provide those images, which you can go Google all that stuff. I'm sure it's out there. I didn't want to provide that. And then that could be seen without context. There's a lot of imagery in this episode that is important to be seen in the context of which is being said. I didn't want to find images from it because standalone, it looks kind of glorifying and I didn't want to shine a light in that way. So it's like, but the image of Peter giving the speech with these torches on the sides and the background you see uh, Goebbels and Hitler and a, a, a couple other people, big images of them. And then in the front is a big picture of himself is striking. And it's just, it's so bold
2: faced. That he's putting himself almost on the same platform as those those people. You know, he, yeah. is, he is now the new Hitler, you know? Yeah,
3: and it's like, because you know, if you capture somebody in an image and you put yourself up against them, yeah, you know, it's like a Mount Rushmore of hate you know, right. type of thing. But it's like, it just, it is just stark and just terrifying like you know? these are your new idols and here I am you and know? with him just shouting all this with Hitler in the background it's like it's crazy you know so but the fact that he has a large photo of himself in the front it's like it's like where what Sears photo studio took that picture you know <laughs> especially later when we get to the funeral thing I'm like what where did someone's like you know what I'm just gonna take some uh, f- some uh, fashion shots of these Nazis see what happens you it know, was like a, like
2: know. when you used to walk through the balls in the 80s and could you be a
3: model you could be a model could you be a Nazi model come back here you know like, Only 200 bucks, <laughs> yeah. So then, um, uh, they finish the, the 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 speech or whatever, and then, um, as they're leaving, uh, you find out that, um, Gibbons is the guy who runs the hall and wants his money because they're past due. And, um, and then one of the guys, I think it's, um, oh, whatever, Nick Stanley, Stanley, sorry, uh, he was like. It, it, there's all this um, what we call it um, like dog whistles or like signals like they're like sent out like he's like he's like he's got to have his shekels like he specifically oh well, mentioned you're talking the,
2: about the guy who's actually talking to Gibbons at the in the beginning yeah uh, oh, well Gibbon, Gibbons is or the guy Nick, who wants the wants
3: Nick. the yeah. And Nick's like, no, he's like, he wants his shekels. It's like, he's, yeah. there's all these like, you know. Like, he's like busting my balls over here kind of yeah. like. But when he says specifically shekels, it's like yeah. he's trying to diminish, you know. Yeah. We don't we don't know Gibbon's background. We don't know that. But at one point he's like, I don't rent time. I rent the hall because uh, Peter's like, give us time. We're a growing movement. He's like, yeah, that doesn't pay the bills. Right. You know? so, um, so Frank is the one who's like, let me educate him. It's like. Are you a mobster or a Nazi? Oh, wait, maybe you're the same thing. I don't know. But he's like, let me talk some sense into him. It's like, you get the idea. He's like, I'm going to beat the shit out of Gibbons. <laughs> let stay he's just this looking
2: hole. to kick somebody's ass throughout this entire yeah. episode.
3: Yeah. Like, what's well, the thing? If, if you're a hammer, everything's a nail. Like, he was the hammer for, yeah. for, for, for Peter, the right? The enforcer. Yeah. So then as they're, like, talking, like, about what to do, um, there, someone shows up with an envelope saying, hey, this is, like, someone like, has your name on it, Peter. It is. It has 200 bucks on it. He's like, okay, great. Problem solved. And it's like the, he's like, Gibbons, he's like, come get your money. So he pulls the same shit that the cops pulled on him, right. which I think is important because it's like, who has the power now? And he demeans Gibbons by dropping the $200 in front of him. So Gibbons has to pick it up and they walk out like, you know. So cold. Like the like, shit doesn't stink, you know. Like, right. And it's like, it's, you know. It's, it's a dick move. Like I wrote power dick move is what I wrote. Power here. dick move. Yeah. Um, so then what was all, so they're outside and like, they're all like, Pete, that was a good speech. What was up with that long cigarette thing he was smoking? Like, I don't, dude, I was like, that doesn't <laughs> even look remotely cool. Like, you're. N- it, it, it looks like the things you see, like the older, like spinster ladies. Yeah, Like, yeah. The, like, like rich spinster lady is rich spinster a thing. But anyway, you see like the long cigarette holder with the cigarette on the end. You're it's not like, Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> Knock
2: it I off. I feel
3: like if this was re- like done today, it'd be him vaping. Like, <laughs> 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 be like, Pete, that was a good story. He's like, tornado. Like you know, yeah. of hate. You know, like whatever. You know. Um, but it was like, what is up with that? Like, I was like, Pete, we're all, I don't like you don't like, this is, this is not helping, you yeah. know, like what was up with that? And then, uh, so then, uh, he goes back into the hall, which the torches are still on yeah. whatever. Um, but you, you have secret Hitler in the back, uh, talking and he's like, well done. And he's like, well, who are you? I need a name. He's like, you might say, I am you. And if that shadow Hitler could wink at the camera, he would have winked at the camera. Yeah. You know, like you might say, I am you. Wink, you know, yeah. you know, whatever. Anyway. Uh, And then, so then he convinces Peter that, you know, all good movements need a martyr. Like, and so he's like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's like, he's like, how, where am I want to find a martyr. He's like, you don't find one, you choose one. And again, just hearing all this, you're like, you're you're creating your own self conflict. You're creating yourself as a victim so you can be like, Look at what they did, you know, and you're this is all orchestrated and yeah, it's like it's all systematic at this point. And and like Serling knows the playbook when he's writing this. It's like he sees what happened and he's being very obvious about it. And it's just it again, we're living in 2020. We have so much access to information in the web and we see news on a twenty four hour news cycle. You see a lot of the same like Like fake outrage by creating events like, you know, like fake victimhood in this sense. I mean, that doesn't sound like all victims are fake because that's not what I'm saying. But you see, like, look at what they did, you know, and it's self-inflicted on purpose to draw attention to. So he's like, I need a martyr basically saying you need to kill somebody for the cause. Like who? He's like, choose Nick. (laughs) <laughs> poor Nick, the one that ran away from everything. Poor fat Nick, you know, like yeah, who, who's basically the,
2: the, the loose cog and basically the entire machine. Like, well, you, you know who it is already.
3: You can tell like, he's that guy that's with them that he, he half believes it's more like, these are the probably the people he grew up with. These are his friends. Not that it, that doesn't absolve Nick of being a Nazi. Cause he's a Nazi, but it's like, you know, he he's probably like the least offended offending one of all of them. But because he's a weak person, he can, his death can be turned into a malleable thing. It can be turned into a cause. Right. So then, um, he's like, he's my friend. And there's that line of like, this is an act of friendship for him to serve the cause. It's like, that, Oof, that's horrible. He's
2: going to be a bigger part of this
3: now. When you turn him
2: into the modder, he's going to be of a greater value because
3: because it's it, some people in this case are worth more dead than they are alive. You know, because then you could speak on his behalf, which is what happens here in a second. But so um, so Peter finds Frank and he's like, "Hey Frank, you just want to beat up people? Go kill Nick." He's like, "Done. Like <laughs> like we're going to kill him." <laughs> <laughs> like, you know finally get to
2: use these knuckles for something.
3: (laughs) He's like, I've been looking to smash something, you know, like Frank smash. Yeah. So then, so then Nick's dead, like the very next moment. And then could, but like Peter's like, make it look like someone that hates us did this again, similar playbook. Yeah. To send
2: a message. This is what's going to happen. Make it look like it was against our crew.
3: Yeah, and then so whatever the cops find Nick, because it's like very quick. It, there's a note saying a good Nazi, and it's pinned to him. Like yeah. that's like that's a very powerful word. The notion of like yeah, a good Nazi is a dead Nazi. So it looks like someone sent a message. And there is a bunch of people
2: around to notice that as well. Yeah, there's a bunch of people who have seen the body at this point. Mm-hmm. So it 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 pretty much. Reinforces this is going to be the next message for our group. This is what's going to power us this much more.
3: So then we see the photo of Nick at like, you know, the next meeting, which that's when I was thinking, like, I was like, oh, it looks like Nick went to like senior class, like Nazi day. Like, because the way he's just posted the photo, it's like, it's senior day here at Nazi High. Like, just whatever. I just, again, why do you get glamour shots when you're Nazis? I don't know. But anyway, so, so while while they're backstage, uh, was it Stanley? Yeah, Stanley's like, you know, I'm. St- he was kind of down, and and Peter's like, "Why?" He's like, "Well, he was like Nick was our friend," and then Peter goes on this tirade about like, you know, how he was useless and terrible, and you know all this stuff, and then he puts Stanley in his place supposedly, and then within seconds he's like, right out in front, being like, "This guy gave his life for us. This is such important." He you know, basically like, "Oh, the world is now less because of Nick is gone." You yeah. know, so you get that he's he has sold his soul to do this.
2: Yeah, you know? and that now. Through all the things that he has done to help our group, his memory will live on stronger and we will be stronger because of the commitment that he had to our group.
3: Yeah. And then I, for, I forgot to mention, whenever he found out that, like, you know, Nick was dead, there's a bit where he's talking, where Peter's talking to Secret Hitler and he, he runs his fingers across the flame of the torch and he's like, We have a martyr. It's like, I have a feeling some of the, him messing with like the things around him was like improv, but it works because it shows him literally playing with fire. Like, mm. it's like on the nose, but. Good, like good acting, not, not good message, but you know, so yeah, he's, he's absorbing all this. And then, so then, um, uh, we get, as he's talking to the crowd about like, you know, Nick's friendship and memory, all this stuff. Right. He, well, he even calls, he calls him backstage and nickel and dime Judas, which is also signaling, you know, to Stanley. But then he's like, oh, he's like, we miss him so much. He was going to make us sandwiches. He promised us steaks. Ha ha. That's not true. No. <laughs> Bringing it back. <laughs> like, no. Um, so then while this is going on there's some interesting shots of the crowd did you notice the Dutch angles like to show yeah, like yeah which it's, it's 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 an easy way to show things aren't right like things are not lining up right you know like and so you got the crowd like listening and the angles are all askew and nothing feels good and they're he's got them. They're, yeah, he's they're selling it so
2: much more now. Like you can even see one uh, one lady in the crowd. She's actually she's crying. Yeah, you can just, see you can see the look in people's eyes. Are like this is this is terrible. Like we've got to we got to stand behind like these a, guys. This like an attack more. on
3: Nick's an attack on all of us. Right type of thing. And it's just, he yeah. was one of us. Ugh. So then um you know at that point as this is going on. Uh, we end up finding Ernst. He's across the street at like, like a soda shop or something like or a shop, bar. Yeah. I don't know. Like, um,
2: they, they had coffee in there though. So. Yeah,
3: sure. You know, it's like, he's like, I need to buy more wine. I keep wasting on this punk ass <laughs> kid. This kid. Um, so Ernst talking to the counterman and they talk about Pete, um, you know, this, it kind of goes through a couple loops, but Ernst is kind of talking himself up to do something. And it's like, I feel like you, you, you already know this kid's, you, you're from, you survived Dachau and you know, this guy's a neo-Nazi. Like, I don't know how much more steam you need in the engine to go forward, but. He's talking to the counterman. The counterman's like, well, times are different. And there's this big speech about like, you know, are they, you know, it's like, it sums up like they're not, it might be a different, different place, but you know, like what he says to himself, like uh, one morning the country woke up from an uneasy sleep and we were no longer laughing. Cause he talked about how we kind of marginalized all these guys talking garbage and all this stuff. And if you go, sorry, you're going to throw something in there. No, you're making hand signals. You're like, yeah, you know, like pointing. You know, no, no I, I think I, you're
2: hitting it right on the head, yeah. man. Like he's seeing all of this from the, his seat in the shop. He's yeah. he's actually seeing it through the window. He has a front row seat, in a sense, to see the power that is growing.
3: Yeah, because if you go like here, here's things I didn't know until recently, and I'll get more into a little bit like how I'm learning about these things. Um, it, there was there was the was it, um the the Weimar Republic that was before what we know as modern Germany that slowly got eroded away by people like talking about the fear of communism and the fear of all this stuff. This was like in like the late 1800s, early 1900s, where this was a part of which would would, would now be Germany, where like like, there was like um, open acceptance of like homosexuality. Like there was a lot of social norms that we've struggled to get now that was like it was like part of like people being treated like people, like there was a lot of progressive social steps there that got eroded and taken over And uh, as this was going on with the rise of like, you know, with Nazism, people didn't take them seriously. And then at one point, like Hitler was kind of starting to rise up. They're like, let's just put him in one position here in the lower government and basically be like, he's going to be marginalized. He's not going to, he, he might yell, but no one's going to listen. And they gave him the position. And then it just was like a doorway into things. So, was seeing with Ernst's character being like, we ridiculed and laughed at these guys. And then one day the joke, it was no longer a joke. And it's like, and that mirrors the very beginning of the episode, whenever Peter got like the tomato thrown on him and people were like making fun of him. It's like you laugh until you don't laugh because now it's no longer a joke. Right. And it's very powerful. I just feel like his, his revving up was like, you already have plenty in your tank to be angry about and to realize that, he might be a lost cause and you got to make the last ditch effort to try to save Peter, you know? Um, but still good acting from, you know, the gentleman and good scene. It's just, you know, again, 51 minutes. You wonder about like where you go with the pacing of this, which to be, to be, be fair of the four we watched so far, this one doesn't have as much fat as the other ones.
2: No, I don't believe so at all. I think this really has a good pace to it.
3: Yeah. And there was actually more that was shot. We'll get to that later in the trivia. Uh, so, uh, at this point, um, uh, Pete's given this big speech, like, you know, answer yes or no, <laughs> this big call response, you know, like, do you hate other people? Yes. Or no, that's not what they say, but Ernst just shows up on stage and he's like right there and everyone's like, we got to get that old man off stage. And Pete's like, no, just let him talk. Right. And it's like, what do you think Ernst would say? That's going to be like helpful to your cause, you know? And I have, th- I have his speech. So. Let's, let's play this. Like if you guys have not watched the episode, uh, you know, please do. It's a very, it's a very worthwhile watch for just, it just sometimes Sterling's social commentary is very heavy handed, but this is one that I did not know it existed. It's an important one to watch, but if you've not watched it, just listen to the speech. And if you have watched it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It is about like two, three minutes. So bear with us it's a little long, but it, every bit of it's important.
1: Go on, Mr. Walmart. You were saying? I can tell them what you were saying. I've heard it before. I've heard it a thousand times before. In Munich, in Berlin, on a hundred different street corners. It was drivel then. And it is drivel now. You've got to stop, Ernst. what is this one here? The new model? A 1963 Führer right off the assembly line, for this one is not so new. He's not so fresh. This one is nothing but a cheap copy. We've got to do something about it. We're losing the audience. Let me get rid of him. Let me get rid of him. Just leave me alone. Well, let me tell you about this one, about the breed, the species. They're all alike. They're all alike. Problem children. Sick, sad neurotics who take applause like a needle.
0: That's enough, Ernst. Please. Please.
1: Listen to me, Peter. And let them listen. Or else I'll tell them about a quaking, whimpering boy who cried on my couch. Who still cries on my couch. Please don't. Please, Ernst, please don't. Don't let him do this. Put him down. Put him down. Yeah, put me down. Put me down. Shut me up. Stifle me. Why don't you? Why can't you? Because this is your courage, right here. This is your strength. This, and the torchlights, and the crowd, and the sea, clients. <laughs> bottle the only sort of answer your kind knows how to give this is your Fuhrer he's yours I give him to you a gift from the sewers
3: I I think it was worth playing that and it's like it's almost three minutes but it's such a powerful moment Right, he just dresses down Peter. I love the line of the '63 Fuhrer. I know there, there's two bits of comedy in this, and that that was at comedy. I like that. He's like, "Same model." He's like, "It's a lesser model," you know, and basically like, "I've seen better. This is this is even this is worse," you know. Uh, and then the bit whenever he says the Sig Hail, and um, Volmer like slaps him, and he was like, "That's your response," like not words, just violence. You know, it's like it's just. He said what he had to say, and he walks out of the hall, and everybody's kind of angry, but they let him walk. And he he doesn't stop his stride, and it's just it's badass. It's such a powerful moment.
2: Yeah, he walks right past his dudes and everything. It doesn't break his dead stare at all. But also, the, what the the since you can't see it because we're playing the audio he was saying that all of his power was in like his
3: band, like his armband. He, yeah. His armband. So it, yeah, he's like this, he's like this, the torches, the lights. It's like, keep talking. Cause that's the truth. Like it's all, it's all the show. That's where your power is and your voice and your projection, not your, you know, you, you're a small person, but you're going to yell loud and people are going to pay attention. You know, like it's just incredible stuff. Um, so then after, uh, Peter gets dressed down, and also, I want to make sure because I could I, I cut a little bit of time out of that. There's like a lot of gaps, and you know that's fine. But I could have cut out Hopper's responses, but I wanted you to hear how weak he sounded. Like, just stop it. Just no. Like, don't say those things that are true. <laughs> like, you like know, he
2: had slowly lost his power as soon as Ernst came on stage. He was like, now here comes the boy again.
3: Yeah, and the whole thing the of vulnerability. Like he, you, you can hear like you know he's like he's still trying to reason with him, and it's but he can't this is the one person that could hold him over the barrel because of everything. Right. So amazing, amazing scene. So then after it's all said and done, um, secret Hitler shows back up and just like tears, uh, Peter down and, um, yelling. he's like, well, why don't you help? He's like, where, you know, what's going on? Like and, and Hitler, sorry, secret Hitler. We don't know he's Hitler yet. It's coming soon. He said, your voice is that of a lion and your instincts are that of a rabbit, you know, basically be like, you talk loud, but you skitter away at the like moments notice. Um, and then he's like, "Well, where are you during all this?" And he's like, "He's like, I was here before you were born. I've been doing all of this." He's like, uh, it, it, "Peter accuses him of hiding in the darkness." He's like, "I invented darkness." I'm like, "Little on the nose, but true." <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I like
2: that. He, I, he also says, "We plan the battles, but you're never there for
3: the to for them to be fought." Yeah, so it's just it's. You know, he's basically called and called him out. It's like, you've, you support all of this, but you're not here in forefront. And he's like, basically whenever he says, you know, he's like, you, you chose me. And he's like, no, no, no. I chose you. You know, like the other way around. It's like, it's, it's a hell of a thing. And then he's like, show me. And then Hitler comes out and there's, there, there's like a couple different moments in this episode where you hear that, that music where it's like, I get that they're going for that additional emotional beat, but it just feels a little too overdone. Like if that's the, it's like that's the part that feels overcooked. It's like Hitler is Hitler. We know this. This should not need the big reveal. (laughs) You know, like I wrote all in caps in my notes. Hitler is Hitler. It's like, you know, yeah. It's this one
2: did not. Well, that didn't surprise me. No, no. (laughs) But it's it's like, but honestly, it, it it needed to happen because it truly sussed out like what peter was feeling like these are the ideologies of a man who is a maniac
3: yeah and so so peter sees him runs away in fear and like that goes to commercial break and then somehow he runs back to the hall and that's when they have the talk of like you know why you know i picked you and he's like i did not pick you you picked me and he's like now i give the order so then you have hitler up on stage in front of the torches in front of a picture of himself, <laughs> like, uh, uh, sorry, with his picture of himself in the background, like give telling him, he's like, you need, you know, he's like, you must be built of steel. You know, first this is an idea then a force. And he's like, you know, you got to kill Ernst. He's, he, and this is when it starts like being very bald face. He's like, he's like the old man, the Jew. He says that straight up. And he was like, he's like the problem. He basically, he's like the problem with them is we sent them to the ovens, but there's always a handful left to point out, point the finger. It's like, dear god it's, it's like sick that just, it's just it's, ugh, you know yeah
2: it's i mean like for uh daytime television well not daytime television but for thursday right, night
3: television yeah, yeah
2: like that is such a horrific thing to just put at the forefront but
3: i want to know if there's that one person that's like i wonder what's going on with fair exchange i wonder what's going on with that that wacky uh american uh your uh, english daughter swap show oh no <laughs> like, right
2: <laughs> yeah i there's but this is something that's like it wasn't like it wasn't a secret. People knew about this, but the fact that it's just being put into your television and you're just.
3: Like, not even like 20, 20, 25 years after World War II. Yeah. Like, even now, I feel like it's a. a dangerous isn't the right word. Because, uh, I mean, the, the, to to shine the light on, like, the shitty ideas and motivations for these things to happen is important. But I feel like there is, like, the certain. <laughs> I, It still almost feels dangerous in the sense of like, how much light do you show on it? And is it the thing that certainly is not celebrating this at all, but it's like giving attention to it almost feels like also giving it power, but it's important to never forget, which is what the character of Ernst is all about. So it's weird to have like Hitler so much in the forefront. Um, and this makes me think immediately of Jojo rabbit, which is now nominated for like best picture, which, um, I saw that movie. It's delightful. It's a wonderful film where it's a German kid in the last days of world war II trying to be Hitler youth. And he doesn't even know what it really means to be a Nazi, but it's just what he grew up doing. And his imaginary best friend is Hitler played by uh, Taika Waititi, Watiti. And it's, it's hilarious, but it's like, you're like. I mean, it's, he's taken the piss out of Hitler the entire time. Cause everyone's like, well, why did you just play Hitler? He's like, well, I'm like half New Zealand and half Jewish. He's like, this would be the biggest screw you to Hitler ever. You know? Like, so, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a wonderful film to watch and it, it does have its, you know, its moments of importance in terms of its message. But it's like when you're dealing with this type of like volatile thing to have Sterling just front center and being like, yeah, I had Hitler directing this guy the entire time. What are you going to do about it? It's very bold. Because how many World War II veterans were alive at that time? A lot, you know. And this is in their face, like, and America at that point decided, for the most part, that Nazis were bad. So I think I just I can't imagine the power of when this showed up when it did.
2: Yeah, it really would have been one of those things that. I would have wanted to be around a family like see what their reactions were going to be like who who was going to be watching this and how they were going to perceive the entire episode. Really? Yeah. I
3: mean, considering that the only other direct Hitler that we got, other, well, I mean, he, he, there's an image of him like there's a poster of him in the background and Death's had revisited whenever the guy was traveling around the different like cabins. You had an image right. of that. Uh, there's an episode from season one called Judgment Night where um, a guy who's trapped on the ship in like a time loop in his mind he realizes like too late that he's a German U-boat captain that's now on the other ship. So like there's things that happen that are very Nazi specific, but the only other time Hitler's directly shown in an episode of Twilight Zone is in season two, man of the bottle where the guy tells the genie, I want to be a man of power. That you know, can't be removed from office, and then the G just makes him Hitler. <laughs> like and in like the last moments of the of Hitler's like, you know, reign where he's in the bunker and he has to poison himself.
2: Jeez, I haven't seen that one in a long time. It, it's
3: it's 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 played for comedy, but it's like you're like, oh, this guy's a Hitler now. <laughs> like, you know, so uh which gives me one of my favorite moments of all strange highways, where we ended the episode with like the advice of don't be Hitler. So that's I think that's good advice. Don't be Hitler. Words to live by yeah. still, yeah. So I think this is bold. So then, but we don't even get to the end of the episode where you're just now you're now hoping that you're you're really hoping that Peter like he has he now sees that he has two fathers. Like he has Hitler, obvious Hitler, and Ernst, his surrogate, right? So but he's now put on this collision course of having to kill Ernst to satisfy the the force, like not the force, the, the movement, um, like the idea. And that creates another amazing sequence in terms of like acting and, and speeches. So yeah, we, yeah, we, he,
2: uh, Hitler throws him a gun. He says, you know oh, what yeah. you gotta do. Like you know? a,
3: a German, like Luger.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He says, you know, take him out. We got to get him out. I got get rid of him because he's only going to be continuing to be a bigger problem. He's going to keep on coming back. You know, he's going to come here tomorrow night when we do the next rally. So take him out now. And, um, when he gets that gun, he seems to be fairly confident in what he needs to do next. I mean, yeah. it, his demeanor somewhat changes.
3: Yeah, it's like any time you've ever like seen a Stephen King story where you have the guy that wobbles a little bit about like, ah, you know, he has the chance of redemption, but then you have that point of no return. You, he The moment he gets that gun, even though there's hesitation in the next scene, his, his his fate is sealed. He could have walked away from it and threw the gun down and been done with it, but nope. He's going to see this through, you know? Right. And so he confronts Ernst in the apartment and Ernst is basically call him out. He's like, you know, fine, you know, do, do what you're going to do. He's like, he's like, you know, it's, he's like, I'm not scared of using like, It's going to be someone more imposing than you. And then Peter pulls the gun out and he's like, and something more imposing than that. And I'm like, that's, that's boss. Like, and he keeps telling him, he's like, go ahead and do it. He's like, you can never kill an idea with a bullet. Never. I um, love that line too. I, and it's funny because it parallels like. With, with Hitler saying like, you know, this is, this is a movement, you know, like there's these two forces of will of like, if you believe hard enough, but it's like, sure. But we, if we also believe you can kill me and strike me down, but as long as there's like a belief, it's going to be out there to confront you. As long as there, as long as there's somebody out there to take up the cause of like, this isn't right, you can kill me, but there's somebody else coming. That's an amazing moment. Yeah. You can't kill will really. Yeah. So then. Um, so then he, uh, Peter's like, well, I'm, but he's like, I have no feelings anymore. I'm built of steel. And then he, he just shoots, you know, uh, cause he, like, he shoots Ernst and as Ernst is dying, he has just enough time to comment that Peter no longer has a heart <laughs> and like, and, and, and whatever. So the Peter watches him die and leaves. And, um, and then he goes back to the hall, like to like revel like now that the movement's going forward and do you notice how Hitler's no longer physically there right now?
2: He's just talking to the image uh, is above the stage.
3: And you hear like in the supposedly in like the speakers, that's Hitler talking to him. And then the cops show up about like Nick's murder, which we'd forgotten about. And he's like, Oh, you're complicit in this. And he's like, Oh, am I, I'm going to run away. (laughs) Like he just immediately is like, Oh shit. I got, to it. it's the cops. (laughs) Like I'm sure some communists tipped him off, you know, and he just runs away and the cops shoot him as he's running. I think it's the same fire escape stairwell type thing that that uh, Nick was hiding under. I uh, I believe so. Yeah. Which I recognize very,
2: this, I recognize the same hall from other episodes, but yeah, it,
3: it feels it feels very thematic if he ends yeah. up dying under the same stairwell where Nick was hiding out of fear. I feel yeah. like that's kind of appropriate. I I could be wrong, but it feels right to me. Uh in terms of like I think that's correct. So then as he's like, "Oh, you guys have something, you, you guys made a mistake. I've made a steal. I'm immoral." And he just, you know, he's like in disbelief and his hands are covered in blood and then he dies. Yeah. And that's when you see the shadow of Hitler, like looking at him and then he wanders away off in the distance. And we have an incredible Serling uh, ending dialogue, which that I normally find like a goofy piece of dialogue to play at the end of the episodes. I'm not going to do that. I am going to play Serling's actual ending dialogue because I think it's very important because he that's the that's the hook of the episode of like he's alive. Like, Hitler, so it didn't work out for Peter. He's going to wander. He's going to find the next thing. He's, like, he's not saying that Hitler's physically alive, but as long as, like, this shit exists, he's still out there, and he's going to influence people. And it's, like, it is, like, the biggest, like, F you ending on purpose, you know? Yeah,
2: the imagery of, basically, uh, Peter being the next surrogate for this idea is dying right there. He's got blood all over his hands. This is happening. It's There's not going to be somebody that gets to him in time. So... The idea of Hitler is leaving and going off to the next person as Serling's outro is happening. You yeah. still see the shadow walking. He's
3: alive. You yeah. know, and it's like, ugh, it just doesn't make you feel good. You know, and so that's your episode. I just so I was I was worried that bringing you in for season four that I was going to be like apologizing for the Twilight Zone the entire time, but like you weren't here for some of the good stuff. Um, it's hard to say this episode's good in the sense of like it's. It's well done, it's well shot, it's well acted, and it's an important message. And, you know, like a Nazi does die, but it's like the just the creeping shadow throughout and how everything, unfortunately, keeps ringing truer and truer as we go along. It, it's it's a well-crafted episode, and it's, it's so far, like, it just exceeds everything else we've seen in season four. But it's hard to call it a good episode. I'll call it an important episode. Because even watching it a second time, I was like, I don't want to hear the speech parts again. I don't want to hear, because it's like, it's too raw, you know? But again, credit to Serling, that he he didn't shy away from any of that.
2: But I, I loved his storytelling in this and how it really conveys that the ideology is still there. It's still a looming idea that can gravitate to one person or another who really wants to adhere to it they want they want to bring it into their heart and make it something more i mean it's such a scary yeah it's a scary idea but it's so prevalent we can still have this happen at any one time hate hate exists and
3: it's something that sometimes unfortunately people harbor so here here's the part that it may or may not blow your mind i'm just gonna say this so um i found out that in 1939 as if I was there. Like, I'm like Connor McLeod, but that's not, that's not, or was it Connor McLeod or Clay McLeod? Which one, which was the one in the movie, and the Highlander the movie? Was it, um, was it Connor? Connor, yeah. Yeah, because who was in the TV show? It was his cousin. Yeah. yeah. yeah I did whatever. It's, I, it's just, so anyway, Highlander stuff aside. Yeah. Um, right. In 1939, there was a Nazi rally at Madison Square Garden. This is before the U.S. involvement in World War II. And this was. Uh, A Nazi rally organized by the German American bund at Madison square garden. More than 20,000 people attended. There's actual audio of this. And, um, there was a bit where like one of the people working in Madison square garden was trying to protest. And this guy happens to be like of Jewish heritage and they just berate him on stage. So this was like legitimately a public Nazi rally of Americans in 1939 in Madison square garden. It's funny. That's not really taught in history classes, but it literally happened. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things that like, um, the German American boond was like a big deal until world war two kind of came out. And then it's like, all of a sudden a lot of that, it, this, this public of a face collapsed, but you see like there was a, there was a fair amount of like a, not like a American Nazi swell prior to world war two. You don't hear about that. And that's like, I'm not trying, this is not a conspiracy here. This is history. Like you can go back and find it. Like I didn't know about this, but hearing the audio from it is just terrifying. And like, so there is uh, a podcast. I think I've maybe mentioned on the show previously called behind the bastards. You guys can find it. It's, it. it's by Robert Evans who used to write for crack.com. He is a conflict journalist. So he'll go to war zones and write about stuff. There's two episodes that he did and I'll give you the titles here. These are from 2018. One was, um, uh, the birth of American Fascism, which is from uh November 6, 2018, and then the part two of the birth of American Fascism, there were so many Nazi movements. There's something called the Silver Shirts that happened before this. Like it is ridiculous, like the Nazi history that was running through America prior to our involvement in World War II. So when you see someone like Des Harper's character on a street corner yelling, it's not that far removed from what actually happened. And it's just And then you fast forward to the shit that's going on now. Did it not bother you seeing the torches that were on his sides? That did it not call like images from like the Charlottesville like like thing that happened a couple years ago? Yeah, like just unfortunately, just yeah. I mean, again, like I was telling Terry before we started recording, like this is this is it's not this isn't a dangerous topic. Nazis are bad. Like we, I just you know, you could argue with me, and my argument's always going to be Nazis are bad. Like you're not going to convince me otherwise, but with certainly using the twilight zone as a mirror against humanity, it's like, how does this reflection get sharper and clearer now? 60 years after the fact. And it just kills me, you know? Um, so this one was a hard one to watch because it's like, stop being true. (laughs) Like that's the part that gets me. It's like, stop, stop resonating. Serling, you've been gone for a while. We should be past this shit. Oh no. This means this means more now than ever.
2: Yeah, know? it's like it's almost like no one's woken up yet, and it's like we're still in the same nightmare. When you see this kind of shit on the TV, it's like Jeez. you you just go really. But it's, it for but real? it's it's
3: a philosophy. It's a difference of opinion, and that's the sneaky, like stuff that happens, you know. And listening to that two part uh, behind the bastards thing, and I recommend everybody listen to it if you are all interested in the legitimate like history of like Nazi involvement in America. Uh, It just opens your eyes to all this stuff. You're like, this was going on. Like, yeah, because it's easy. We can look back at World War II and see the images of the comic books of Captain America punching Hitler. And like we were on the right side eventually, you know, and it's like it's tough. And then knowing here, like in the 60s, like this comes down to like like a angry white man like a white kid that just didn't know how to direct his frustration of having a broken home and all the shit that was not handed to him because he came from like a poor background. You get all this from the episode and it's like, and Sterling, you, you know that he could, he had his finger like on the pulse and was kind of seeing some of this. And it was like, stay vigilant. Don't forget he's alive. And it's just a powerful episode. Like I said, he brings a sledgehammer, but this is needed for this.
2: I feel like this was a, uh- in, in all ways something that I think people can relate to I th- I beg you if you're a listener and you have not seen this episode please watch it because it speaks on so many different levels of what we're really we've had to deal with and possibly will deal with
3: for the rest of our lives honestly yeah. and so I mean people always talk about the, the Twilight Zone being relevant still because social commentary this is it and you you and I were talking before we started recording about how you like you didn't feel like this was a Twilight Zone episode I would I would offer that it is very much so because even though the 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 Twilight Zone-ish like elements of a very light with like a like a ever present Hitler that has money but then disappears, I don't understand how that works. I'm not going to question it. Yeah. It's like so so the supernatural elements are kind of light, but like the social commentary is so big that it feels like it's perfectly in line with other episodes that we've seen. I liked it a lot in terms of what it was. I can't I can't celebrate the content, but I can appreciate the approach. Yeah, I, I think
2: that this was a a really surprising episode for me, but I totally enjoyed it and I really like how it speaks on a different level. It's not about aliens, it's not about ghosts this time. It's a it's a, a real monster. It's yeah. hatred. It, it it exists in all of us. It's just a matter of making sure that we don't harbor that hatred and to make it you, a weapon.
3: Never forget, right? So like, um, uh, so recently, and I'll, I'll I, this was actually something I found a couple days ago. Um, and it was it was news, but it, like, there's been so much other things going on in the world right now. It's hard to keep track of everything because you know it's the world the way it is right now. So let me find the the actual story because I saved it to mention it. So this was from, um, uh the 27th so that we're recording on the 30th, the headline here. And this is from, uh, from Poland, uh, Poland.com. It's actually like a, a news source in Poland. Survivors, Polish President uh, Mark Auschwitz, Liberation Anniversary. Several dozen former camp prisoners and Polish President laid wreaths in front of the death wall on the site of the former Nazi Germany Auschwitz death camp in uh, Oswium, Southern Poland. I'm not saying that right. Southern Poland as part of an observance of the 75th anniversary of the camp's of liberation. There's still, I, it's going to get less and less, especially now as we go along. There's still alive survivors of these camps and it's like we can't forget this you know and like they're like they're paying homage to like not homage not the right word like their respects to 75 years ago and it's like how how can we forget this like we can't you know the shadow that
2: it is cast i don't think people should ever forget it i because i again you know this is something that can exist again we just have to be vigilant we have to make sure that we don't we don't become the monster and like we always look back at something like this and be like this happened this really was a a a, a, an asterisk on what humanity is
3: yeah and so like an Oswich was uh liberated in 47 so that was uh 16 years prior to this episode airing like think back 16 years it's 2020 so we're talking 2004 is it that hard to think back to 2004 and it's like yeah right it's like it's crazy to think about like time like that. And it's like, so not to belabor the point, but it's like this, this was a fresh wound and it needed a finger stabbed into it, you know? And so, yeah, this is a hell of an episode. So I, I have some trivia about it, like some other stuff. I don't know if you have any other notes about the episode, because I mean, we can keep saying over and over again, Nazis are bad. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, we, the we- this shit's messed up. Don't do it again. How about that? You know?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you guys want to contact us and get more, pick our brains a little bit more about our views on the episode, definitely come ahead and you know talk to us about it. But, yeah, I think that's pretty much the episode for that part.
3: Yeah. And so, okay. So, Serling was particularly pleased with the actual script. And when he learned that um, there was a scene between Hitler revealing himself and uh, Peter returning to Hitler, it was cut due to length like time constraints. Um, so he was trying to say, Hey, maybe we should do a theatrical version of this, like make it a little bit longer. Uh, and so it just long, like over the time they, it didn't happen. So then, um, he was going to introduce a new character that was kind of investigating things, whatever it got turned down. And so the scene of Hitler revealing himself at that point was filmed, but like the footage has been lost. So it was one of those things where he's like, this should be a feature. And CBS is like, nah, let good at 51 minutes. And I, I don't know how much more legs this would have gotten for like a 90 minute or 80 minute feature. So this was ones where I feel like 51 minutes was okay. This probably could have been like tightened down to like 40, but again, if everything in this is firing on all cylinders, I'll take the 51, you know? And, but the fact that Sterling was actually like on board to be like, no, 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 Let's release this in the theater. You know, it's like, that's, that's interesting to me that he was that passionate about this. Um, so he actually considers this like one of the most important in the series. I don't doubt that. I think that's very, like very important for a good reason. Yeah. Uh, so within a week of the, the the actual episode was telecast, Rod Sterling and his staff reportedly received 4,000 pieces of vitriolic hate mail. That's there's some debate about what that mail was, but you know, he got letters about this. And so, and there, in one of the books I have too, like there was someone writing and he actually provided a response that was like, you know, very on point. So, there was people pissed about this, but it's again, you're, you're, you're showing your, you know, you're showing yourself if you're mad about this, you know? So, um, so I thought that was interesting that even then he was still like, even not, not even then, but it's like, people were like, I don't know this. Are we, we're past this. It's like, are we, we're not really past it. Um, this episode, which tackles subject to prejudice aired on January 24th, 63, the same day as George Wallace, the governor of Alabama gave his segregation segregation today, uh, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever speech. Think about that. Like we're in the midst of this and there's someone spewing hate like nationally while this is going
2: on. Yeah. They have a platform I and mean, he was the governor. I mean, this is the, he's speaking for a larger group of people at well, this point.
3: There's that line like in um, freaking Sweet Home, Alabama, where it's like, you know, in Birmingham, you know, they love the governor. This is what they're talking about. You know, it's George Wallace, you know, like, known racist, you know, it's crazy. It's like, so like I was also telling Terry we started recording, this was in 63. I believe the equal rights amendment, uh, the, the first one, cause it was added to, as we went along in the sixties was signed the next year. So when you see Dennis Hopper's character yelling at an African American, you see the African American cop, they were not having the same rights at that point, And someone's just berating them. And it's like, it's so, it just hurts to look at that. And you just want to hide your face, but, That's the reality. Um, this, uh, another, another bit of trivia. This is one of the few episodes where, uh, Twilight Zone is actually not mentioned in the closing narration. And I, some people believe it's because Sterling was trying to prep this for a feature length, whatever. So that's all I got. So yeah, it was supposed to be longer. Didn't get longer. Uh, this aired when shit was wrong. And we're talking about it right now when shit's wrong. So, congratulations. We should learn something from this. Yeah. It's like a broken record. like <laughs> In the yeah. worst way possible. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Did you have anything else? No. Uh, I, I, I th-
2: that was pretty much it. You got all the notes that I would have had. at the, Yeah. The,
3: I mean, it, it's
2: it needed to happen. This episode is important. Yeah. Please watch it. I mean, reach and, out. And
3: if people think that this is something that's not happening today, like... Look at the news, but like, uh, look at the city of Portland, Oregon. Um, There's a lot of like, like crazy things going on there. Uh, There's different movements that use a lot of the same cadence that this episode spouts, but they don't use the word Nazi. Um, And people can argue with me about like intent. But again, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck and and it hates all those around them, it's probably a Nazi duck. You can quote me on that. Um, You just it's. This is very much in our backyards and this is where unfortunately the Twilight Zones in its wheelhouse right. is just like we can talk about this, but we're gonna skew it a little bit so that way people are like, Well, that's not real. It's like, yeah, it's right in front of us though the entire time. So hell of an episode. Not expecting something this strong and meaningful from all the shit I've heard about season four. Mm-hmm. So surprised yeah. to say that. So Alright, well I Maybe. guess we should just read some twists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's just do it. Yeah. That Hitler was Hitler, a one. That um we've not learned our lesson, a one. <laughs> like I don't know where else to put this at. I don't I don't know what else is a twist in this episode. Like I, I yeah, there
2: isn't much as far as twists, but I mean I, I think that as far as you know, like basically Peter knowing as much as he did about Ernst and like still turning his back on him. Like that was kind of a twist in itself, but not really, you know, like it it just shows that hate can, it can overcome so many other feelings.
3: It can just, it can power through. And, but I will like, if the twist is that you actually get like a human sense of what Peter is, as opposed to just being like this constant mouthpiece for hate. Yeah. Again, I'll give credit to Sterling. Like, I I, I feel (laughs) like, I feel like I always have these, like the scales of like, I love him. I'm frustrated by him. Um, but, Whatever he likes said, and he when he's like in in the thick of it, and he's just coming out swinging. There, he does some amazing character work, and he does some amazing dialogue. Like that's the other thing too. If you want to see like the the, the a lot of this episode, and I know we've been talking for a while because again, it's a fifty-one minute episode. So how do you how do you go through it? There is so many interesting like just like speech bits, like dialogue beats in this that are just like, you could snip a lot of that out and be like, God damn, that's amazing. Like it just shows you when Serling actually has the time and effort. He, he put out amazing work, you know, and maybe, you know, I almost kind of wish if it was me rewriting the episode and that this is something I think about often, I kind of wish that if we knew that it was secret Hitler the entire time, that I wish the two hundred dollars to keep the the hall open would have come from another source to be like, you know, we have a friend in common. Basically, being like, we both believe. I thought the exact same thing, like, dude. It's like it was like
2: an element that just didn't
3: need to exist the way it did. It you just, could have written, it you, could, you it. could have handed a little bit and be like, Oh, I'm a friend of the cause, like right. or you know something like that. A guy with an earshot is like, you know what? I support you. Yeah.
2: I'm gonna help you out.
3: Yeah, basically, be like, you know, we we both serve the same the same person, the man in the shadows, or something like that. And right. Like, so that way then it could have been left with him being this like, you know, presence. Cause that's what's implied at the end is that he's always going to be this moving shadow, especially at the end, whenever, uh, you know, Peter walks back into the hall and he hears, he hears Hitler, but doesn't see him. Then it's like, did the ideology just become so much in him that he, this is a projection of self. Like, I think that's way more interesting than being like, he could be alive. Like, cause I don't, I don't know, but if that's the, the, the smallest quibble I have with this episode, that's a very minor minor quibble. You know, like it's just.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I, I thought it was like, OK, well, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The money that is. And it's like but I was able to excuse it because the rest of the episode was so much more like put together well with dialogue yeah. and po- like the power of the, of the message. And really the thing that I if I really wanted to change anything about it, I wish he wouldn't have revealed himself. I like the imagery of him being the darkness. He is the the seedy darkness that is inside
3: of you. That's interesting. The entire time be like, you know who I am and never like maybe even do like the like the the quick like shot of the poster behind him. It's like, oh, shit, it's Hitler. You know, you never see his face like that would be kind of interesting. Like, you're right. That would have been that would have been a way to frame it. Yeah. If I
2: had never seen Hitler's face, I would have been like, it's just enough for me to know that this message is 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 more about. Looking inward,
3: knowing who you are and knowing where the darkness lies. Yeah, you're right. That's that would have been a way to play that too. So again, minor minor quibbles. Excellent episode. Important message. If you guys don't watch any other episode from this season, this is the one to watch, you know? And just prepare to like I, I called it a a, a really meaty episode with like that, like was made of like poison. It's the truth. It's, it's a hard thing to choke down, but it's a necessary meal, you know? Like, so yeah, that that's going to do it for he's alive. Again, I hope you guys can bear with us, not posting images from the episode. I hope you guys can respect that. Cause I don't need to glorify like, like just, I'll say does Hopper's performance. in this is amazing for what he was doing. Uh, the gentleman who played Ernst, uh, Donst, what's his name? Um, I, I have it here. Uh, Ludwig, Ludwig, Don't Donath? Donath. That's not Donst. Yeah. Amazing, like not a sour note in terms of performances. This episode,
2: his line delivery was perfect. I loved it.
3: And just hopper was so good. Like you wanted to hate him, you know, like, but it also, it also vaguely reminded me of like Eminem and eight mile where it's like, if I could just find my groove, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, like I could see, I can see this hoppers character riding on the subway, just writing hate speech. And this like, and his head, he's like, this is Mom spaghetti. We all hate Mom spaghetti, you know, like the entire time. <laughs> like it's, you know, um, nine mile as in German for no, no. So, uh, it's terrible. Yeah. We're going to end this before I say anything else. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, that's, that's, that's it for he's alive. Uh, you guys can find us on Facebook at strange highways. Uh, again, more people are liking the page. I think it's because Terry's bringing the sexy and I think that's amazing. So we appreciate you guys liking the page. Um, you guys can email us directly at strangehighwayspodcast strange podcast at gmail.com. You guys can find us wherever you find your podcast, whether it be stitcher, uh, pod um, you know, podcast catcher, uh, pod addict, uh, i don't know uh apple Podcasts, google music rate and review us it'd be greatly appreciated so that way if you like the show more people will find it um you know maybe not nazis but you know hey (laughs) i i will take anybody else that's fine you know like not nazis you know yeah we
2: need listeners (laughs) it'd be
3: great when this one guy's like you know what i am pro nazi one star Mm -hmm. like I'd be like, you know what, we're okay with that. Yeah, so, yeah we'll take that. Great reviews. We don't like you either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like,
2: come, come talk to us, people. I mean, we want, we want your feedback about, you know, how we've been doing. Um, our, our views on this episode. You know, like, how do you feel
3: about uh, Bud Light Platinum? Yeah, I was gonna say, back, back. Which horse do you want to back? Miller Light tall boys or Bud Light Platinum? I don't know. Platinum sounds important. <laughs> it. <laughs> It sucks, dude. I I I, <laughs> I haven't had a gutter beer in a long time, and I figured if I was going get into the, get into the dirt dealing with Nazis, I needed something. You the know? redeeming so, quality
2: ugh. is that that bottle that it's in, that blue bottle. It's so cool looking, but it
3: looks like it looks like every like shitty like lamp cover that like you know your distant family would have. And you're yeah. like, I'm gonna go visit my aunt. Why is that? Why? Why? Is, with all the blue glass going on right there, it looks like that carnival glass shit. Yeah,
2: yeah. And it tastes like paint thinner.
3: Ugh. <laughs> You know, whatever. It helps choke down the, the darkness. Uh so yes, next episode is Mutes, which we just mentioned. So we're gonna have uh, our, our the director we just mentioned, Mr. Uh Rosenberg. Um, yes. Uh, Stuart Do- Rosenberg. Stuart Ro- I hope I hope we get like other directors that don't direct back to back same episodes, but whatever, it's fine. Yeah. Cool. All right.
2: I like this episode a lot, so the I directing mean, of this
3: was really good yeah. too. Like no no, you know, no offense to the other gentlemen, but like this w- this felt like this felt like a twilight zone episode. Yeah,
2: he handled the material really well. So yeah. yeah. And
3: like some of the cross cutting and Dutch angles, I, I will take a Dutch angle. Like just, it doesn't take much to turn the camera a little cockeyed and, and you get something different. Right. So right. cool episode, cool, cool looking episode. Next episode is mute. I'm going to read uh, the, the, sterling bit here. The talented author, Richard Matheson, pays a return visit to the Twilight Zone with a story called Mute. It provides exceptional challenge uh, to acting talents of Barbara Baxley, Frank Overton, and an unusual 12-year-old named Angelian. That doesn't tell us anything about the episode. And I feel like Serling was just running in and smoking a cigarette and cutting the title and running out. He was like, what's this about? Oh, there's actors in it? We're done. I feel like that's what's happening right yeah, now.
2: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't figure anything out from that at all but hey you know what we
3: got steward back but in the th- but we're getting to richard matheson who is one of the other pillars of the twilight zone i'll be Boot. excited I, I love richard matheson so we'll talk more about that when we get there so i've not seen the episode um hope you guys enjoy us for mute in the meantime i will quote an adage for the show that's very important don't, don't be, be a hitler <laughs> yeah don't be yeah i i screwed it up don't be hitler
0: this phantom from another time, this resurrected ghost of a previous nightmare. Chicago, Los Angeles, Miami, Florida, Vincennes, Indiana, Syracuse, New York, any place, every place, where there's hate, where there's prejudice, where there's bigotry. He's alive. He's alive so long as these evils exist. Remember that when he comes to your town. Remember it when you hear his voice speaking out through others. Remember it when you hear a name called, a minority attacked, any blind, unreasoning assault, on a people or any human being. He's alive because through these things, we keep him alive.